You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. The end of summer is for eventing championships, endless hoof care, and cocktails. This week, we're debating about the posting trot and analyzing a formula to help cut through the clutter of selecting the right supplement. Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome, Welcome to Happy, to Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Ellie Wozniaka. Welcome to episode 115 of Heels Down Happy Hour. What's going hey on? Hello, hello. Hello. Y'all melting wherever you are? I think everyone is melting actually in the United States currently right now. <laughs> One of the benefits of living on a mountain, at least I got a good breeze. Yes, I do have a good breeze. <laughs> but it is sticky for sure. Ugh, no breeze here. I, like, it's the first time in my life where I'm just like, bring the hurricanes already, please. Just like, give me some some cloud cover, please. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jess, you got a drink for us? I do. We all know it's summertime, it's hot, and I have this great summer cocktail it's called the Salty Dog Cocktail. We've done like the Greyhound and everything else. And I actually had an amazing Greyhound that had a little bit of rosemary in it. So it made me think that we needed to share, you know, this kind of spin of a drink. And so this one is a little bit of a twist because the Salty Dog also has the kosher salt on top. So it's like the sweet and salty. Uh-huh. But um, this one includes two tablespoons of kosher salt, a teaspoon of grapefruit zest, plus three quarters cup of fresh juice from the grapefruit. I like to use fresh grapefruits. Six tablespoons of gin, or I sometimes will do the vodka instead, like always. Half a cup of ice and a slice of grapefruit, mainly to varnish. But the directions tell you, stir the salt and zest in a small plate using your fingers until evenly combined. Line the rim of a highball glass. And what I've done my easiest way is like, just get a little bit of the rim, you know, use some grapefruit or whatever else and get it a little wet. And I usually try to find a bowl that uh, has a real flat surface on the bottom or like a pie pan. And then I put that mixture inside. So then I can dip it on and you get like a nice crust of the rim. And then that's what you're going to use as your glass. Then you want to put the grapefruit juice, the gin or vodka, ice in a cocktail shaker, Cover, shake around, chilled about 10 seconds, and then strain it into that prepared one. In the summertime, I like to also put a bunch of ice in it. So it kind of just makes it really refreshing and serve it and have a lot of fun with some friends. And you can always garnish with some grapefruit as well. It does sound super tasty. Yeah. And like with the ice and the salt and a little bit of like cocktail mix, it's, it's really refreshing. I mean, it sounds like a greyhound almost. Like, I feel like I've yeah. had this at a wedding. Yeah, I really, I like it. I'm not a it, huge gin person, but I do like it with the grapefruit juice, you know? Yeah, and so it's a spin. And so, yeah, I mean, you can either do the greyhound or the salty dog, but I think I liked the salt on the top with the grapefruit, mm-hmm. which is kind of the twist of it. And so I really liked this one. And it's it's honestly really easy to make because half the time, as long as you got some alcohol or gin or vodka and just get, I mean, the fresh grapefruit right now is amazing. And I think that's what kind of really does it. Absolutely. Well, this episode is brought to you by Purina. 
The PhD equine nutritionists at Purina Animal Health tackle problems using science, and their love for horses keep them at it until they get it right. Even with the most established feeds, they keep innovating. Even when it takes years of research, they don't stop until it's right. They are dedicated to the scientific method, but it can't capture the feeling of seeing a horse reach their full potential. It takes science and love to help your horse live their best life. Put their research to the test at thehorseinnovation.com. All right, it's time for the news, which is brought to you by the Heels Down Spark. It's the only daily equestrian newsletter, and it's free. If you want to subscribe, you can go to bit.ly slash spark by HD. All right, Jess, what do you got for us? Well, we are only a couple weeks away. I know we talked about it on the Hillstown Lounge that the ACs is coming. We are all, or not we, everybody, but a lot of people are going to be at Kentucky and I'm super excited to see everybody, but I just want to kind of give an overview because it is a different schedule. It is a week long. So if people are in the area anywhere from basically Tuesday through Sunday, there is something going on. They have over $1,000 in prizes available, whether it's cash. They always have amazing, you know, just sponsors and vendors and everybody else. So there's there's something for everybody. And it really turns the Kentucky Horse Park into an amazing place because you get to see anywhere from beginner novice up through advanced going across the cross country that you'd see at Land Rover, you get to see a lot of them go through the head of the lake. And then a lot of them get to jump in the stadium, which is nice. And I think in the last couple of years, they've done the advanced at night in the stadium. So that is always an interesting kind of thing to see them jump in the night, which a lot of our horses don't see. So I am really excited. There is a list everywhere all over the U.S. eventing of all the different prizes. They've got tons of presenting sponsors and they're basically not only just giving cash, but some amazing prizes. So I can't wait to see everybody and I think it'll be a good week. So I'm really excited. Yeah. It's a bucket list horse show for me. I'd love to go one day, especially when they're having it at the horse park. Cause how cool yeah. to ride there, you know, like ride in Rolex stadium and ride on that cross country course. Um, I mean, I think that's for me. I think it makes it even more special. I mean, right. we just watched the Europeans last week, which had some amazing performances by the Brits and everybody else. But then to say that you can put uh, not only the top of the sport at some big horse shows, you get to see, you know, people have some amazing dreams happen when they get to go, cross, you know, cantering around the field. That is what Land Rover presents at. Right. And for you guys, like what horses are you bringing? So we have Quantum Leap is in the advanced, and we have Camarillo in the advanced, and then we have Cuberon, the stallion, is going to go in the intermediate, and that is all we're bringing this time. So we're competing mostly during the week. The schedule is kind of different where they have a lot of the professionals going during the week, so a lot of the amateur divisions are at the weekend. And mm -hmm. so I think we actually like finish up Friday night, to be honest. Oh, Okay. Mm -hmm. So you guys, if you're planning on going, you'll have to keep an eye out for Jess and Doug. And also, Patricia will be there, of course, at I the Eco booth in the Vendors Village. But um, keep an eye out in our Facebook group, because we'll have chatter about some events that we hope to host at the AAC. So if you're there, you better be in our Facebook group. But Ellie, what do you got? I have some 
sad but also positive spin news. Uh oh. Um, I feel like I'm always the one with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so in Forsyth County in Georgia, a couple of days ago, Blue Springs Farm um, burned and 26 horses died in the fire. Oh, um, no. Yeah. They haven't, it was a riding school and they haven't really determined the, the cause or anything. But one of the lesson girls actually had a lemonade stand. Uh, just to help the barn and the family recover from the losses. Cause that's God, everyone's worst nightmare. And so just to see, you know, the barn family, even these little kids, you know, helping out with the lemonade stand, doing what they can was just heartwarming. And there's local feed stores that also are having like donation boxes as well. So it's just nice to see the horse community coming together after such a tragedy. Oh gosh, that's terrible. But hopefully you've got something positive for us to see. I've got something that will make you put your thinking cap on. So it's an interesting discussion. So we actually shared this link already in the Facebook group, and it had a a pretty lively discussion. The Chronicle of the Horse interviewed a USCF S dressage judge, Natalie Lamping is her name, who is advocating for permitting the rising trot beyond training level and first level and allowing it through fourth level. So as you can imagine, there are like people crawling out of their skin about this. And then there are people who are like, wow, that's very kind to the horse and kinder to, uh, or more inclusive for a variety, variety of riders and different body types. And it's, it sparked an interesting discussion and there's no like rule change coming up or anything that, that really shows that like anything would change right now in the sport. But it is sort of that, uh, that that Kickstarter discussion of like tradition versus what's what have we learned since the rules began that sitting trot became the, the only way to ride dressage from second level and up. Uh, have we learned anything since then? And can we go back and make adjustments that based on this new knowledge, you know, over time? I I think it was a well-made argument. I'm I'm sure you guys have both read it in the Chronicle of the Horse by now. And I do, I do agree that I think like if we can make, I mean, think about dressage. I, I like dressage as I get older, I like it more. I think when you think about the, the body of people who ride dressage, I do think they tend to be mostly women, probably a little bit, um, older women. Right. So why wouldn't we cater to the community that loves the sport the most? Right. Um, yeah. And make it comfortable for the people and the horses who are competing at these levels. And this, you know, the argument here is like, if you want to sit the trot through fourth level, like you do you, man. There's no one telling you you can't. But why can't the rules be a little bit more lenient for people and horses, especially, that maybe like sitting the, you know, the medium, (laughs) the medium trot across the diagonal, right? Like, could it be more fair to the horse if you allowed that rider to post it? I don't know. Do you guys have thoughts, Jess, Ellie? I mean, I think from my opinion, it's kind of both. Like it's the classical dressage where you're teaching the horse to accept your seat and everything else. But then I kind of get it. Like it's the same thing. Like you're not asking the highest level to not sit the trot. So I think it's kind of, unfortunately, I'm kind of on both sides. Like where I see both of the arguments and see there's value in both. Mm-hmm. 
would I think that it would hurt? You know, like I think if you're adding an upper level rider that was trying to get up the levels, they're going to probably have the horse take it seat kind of like, you know, where you have options at eventing. You see a lot of them take it on older horses because they can accept their, you know, back in their seat and everything else because they're getting ready for the other levels. And so maybe you see it that if up to fourth level, you, you know, you still have quite a bunch of levels above it that have to still do it where you would, yes, of course, see them sit and everything else. So I wouldn't honestly be opposed to it, but I understand that, you know, it's still the classical dressage where you're still asking them for doing it. But, but I think that the change wouldn't hurt it because then you'd still have the option. And I mean, I would, I would like that it said rising or sitting throughout the whole test, you know, so you have the option that if you've got a young horse that maybe needs you to post, or you have a young horse that needs to take your seat because you're really like, it's a quality young horse that you think is going to go and you want to prepare it for the next level without, you know, putting it through the next level. So I, I wouldn't mind seeing it, but I would like the and or. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think you made a good point too. And I, my biggest thing is I think this is a great thing for, like you said, just seeing the horse's backs, like especially Mm -hmm. at the lower levels. If you haven't gotten your core to where you're going to be able to sit respectfully on a horse's back, I think that's a big, big conversation, right? Because that's, yeah, that's not an easy thing. So I think that, you know, being able to post and keeping our horses happy and doing their job well. I don't, I I wouldn't care if they posted in the Olympics, to be quite honest. I don't think it's not, it doesn't distract at all, in my opinion, from their movement. I've never seen a horse not be able to do something just because they're not sitting. So that probably is coming from a not so high dressage (laughs) ideal, but I think that absolutely, why not? Let's be inclusive and let's keep our sport growing and attracting more people, not being so strict and subjective. Absolutely. So we'll see. We'll see if anything comes of this. If nothing else, it was an interesting discussion. Just a big shout out to everyone who donates to our podcast on Patreon. We really appreciate you guys continuing to make this podcast possible. And we do have exclusive content for you guys there that you should check out for sure. Big thanks again to everyone who contributes. And if you are interested, you should go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash heels down. So speaking of that hot, sticky, gross weather, what are you guys doing for hoof protection during this like wet summer, horrible conditions? Ooh, that is a good question. So surprisingly here in Florida, it is... um, much drier in August than it normally is. It's we've just had this like insane heat, like heat plus humidity with heat indexes that are reaching like 115 degrees. It's insane. We've never, I I personally have never experienced anything like this in my lifetime, but we're getting closer and closer to peak hurricane season here. And like today was the first day I felt like, Oh, here comes the rain. Like those thunderstorms are finally starting to pick up. And I have two barefoot thoroughbreds right now, which I, which just sounds like a disaster when you're thinking about <laughs> wet, right. wet summer, right? I'm like, oh God, how did I get here? But knock on wood, you know, uh, fingers crossed, everything's going okay so far. 
Mikey is somebody who he's actually always had really great feet for a thoroughbred. And because he's out of work, like it made no sense to keep the shoes on. And then Wyatt, his feet were so bad coming off the track. Like when we took his racing plates off, he just had no foot that his feet grow so slow. It's like, when I look at them, I'm still like, you have such little foot. It's amazing. Like how slow they grow. So I've just been riding him in hoof boots while barefoot just to try to promote his foot to grow. Cause every time we try to put a nail in him, it's a disaster. So he might end up in a glue on shoe shortly, but he's barefoot right now, but both my horses are sound and doing just fine. And th- this is thanks to a variety of products that I put on their feet every day. The first one I want to mention, I wrote a review about it in the spark just last week. It's called hoof armor. I don't know if you guys are familiar with hoof armor. Yes, I've heard of it. It's like an epoxy that comes like you actually put it in almost like a cock gun scenario, like a a tube and you, it actually comes out hot. Like when it comes out of the tube, it's like hot to touch. You wear gloves, obviously, but you apply a thin layer on the bottom of the hoof all the way up to the hoof bulb or the heel bulbs and the frog. And then around like just about a quarter inch or so along the front of the outside of the hoof. And it creates a like a, a barrier that still allows moisture to get through to the hoof, but it creates like a hard you can see like the shine of the poxy of it. It's I think like there's Kevlar in it. So I've been doing that after like basically the same day my horses are trimmed, I apply more hoof armor. And then in between that, like just day to day, I'm a big fan of Duracell and then also Farrier's Fix just to create that like water repellent barrier. And um, obviously with Thoroughbred's Thin Soles is the problem I have. So just being mindful of that. It's just building some toughness at the bottom of their foot. Luckily, I'm not dealing with Thrush, but I do really like the Equiderma products for for Thrush. They make a Equiderma makes like a white line and Thrush scrub. It's a uh, chlorhexidine is the main ingredient in it. And you like, it's, gr- it's bright green. It's like the weirdest color, but you put it on the frog and you scrub it with a brush, like the brushy side of your hoof pick. And then I just leave it on. And it's really amazing. It like sucks all the moisture out of their frog super fast. So I would say those between those four things, that's how I survive summer. But what about you, Ellie? you got something that works for you. Well, I've been dealing with the same thing, like this back and forth. Like I had, like everyone had extremely dry feet, like up until two weeks ago. Now we're like, it's raining all the time or well, a month ago, I should say. But so I actually went old school, like that traditional, <laughs> that yellow can of hoof oil, the Fibings hoof dressing. And that was actually my, my farrier's recommendation. Cause he's like, he was getting to the point where my horse's feet were so hard to the point where he would try to drive a nail and the nails would bend. Like they were just hard and brittle and wow. Yeah. It was wild. Leave it to Berkeley to find something to do. But yeah, so that actually made a huge difference. Like just coating that and like it, like he now is back to trimming normally. And uh, so that's definitely great for like dry and kind of brittle feet. Like that does a good job of keeping the moisture in. But now we're in the constant, like, I swear to God, it rains every day, uh, (laughs) which makes the whole, like, getting the rest of our hay kind of a frustrating situation. But a product that I've I've tried for the last couple of years, and I was hesitant, but I like it a lot. It's the ethyl hoof ointment. 
Mm-hmm. It's like it's kind of like a Vaseline type consistency, but I really like it because it has a little bit of that, you know, disinfecting effect for like thrush and things. But it also has like since it is that Vaseline type consistency, it's water repellent. Like literally, if I put it on and then bathe a horse, like the water just drips off. Like it does not go in their yeah. feet. So I love doing it right now, especially before they go out in the mud to just kind of help them not stand completely. I mean, if you're, I'm like, if you're going to stand in the mud, at least then this will help a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, I really like both of those, but I'm a big uh, farrier fix uh, as well. That stuff is amazing. It's like liquid gold, man. Yeah. And it's priced at liquid gold too. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I know. It's like anytime I spill it, I'm like, oh my God, that was $15. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, please don't. <laughs> what about you, Jess? Do you have products? So, like yeah, I guess it was probably almost eight months ago. A couple of our horses, just because we've moved a bunch and like we've all talked about, it gets wet and then dry, wet and then dry, and everything else. And just a couple of them's like hoof quality. It didn't matter what we were putting on them. Like we were like, we need to feed something in. Like they need some more biotin. They need some more stuff. So we ended up starting to feed a supplement. We don't feed a ton of supplements. We're not big supplement. I mean, we do feed some supplements, but we're not huge into supplements saying, hey, they all need this. It's very individualized uh, with all the horses. And so probably five of them or maybe even six of them out of like, we have what? 26 on average horses are on this life force hoof. We started them on a hoof supplement that basically it they love it because it's extremely palatable. It's an oatmeal molasses based pellet. So it's oh, not wow. a powder. So it's not like you're feeding them a bunch of powder and stuff. It's like a pellet and they actually really like it. And so it's just, it's one for their skin coat and mainly hoof. And so we started feeding that uh, probably six, eight months ago, they started feeding a hoof supplement. And we've really found the quality of their feet improve. And we haven't stopped, you know, doing the other stuff. But that has been one of the big things is that we've uh, swapped to kind of individualize a lot of supplements in them. And so we've loved this Life Force formula and everything else. So it's been great. And then the other trick we do and we've been doing this for years, is sure hoof. And we buy, I buy it in the gallon and I just get, a lot of times we'll have like, I will buy a couple smaller ones with the paintbrush and everything so we can refill it. But we do it half to maybe a little bit more than half of the sure hoof and then do it with vegetable oil or canola oil or something. So it's an oil-based and it just, cause it's super thick but that is a great like everyday kind of hoof polish. And we just paint it on their feet and it's amazing. Like we love it. It's this big gooey black stuff. And it really, I find it kind of does a little bit of both. Like it repels the water and everything because you've got more oil in it and stuff, but it also is a hoof moisturizer. So it, we love it. So if we're trying to like make sure their hooves are staying healthy from the outside, we put that on. And then if we find that they're getting soft and everything, we'll switch to the Caretex, the good old Caretex, like old school Caretex. And then we also love the Duracell. Those are like our go-to products. Got it. But the Sure Off is 
a lot more affordable when you mix it. And so it's like when you're doing 26 sources and you need to put hoof polish on, it's like, okay, great. This is, you know, strengthening them, keeping them moisturized and all in one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's such a good one. Cause it's got that like turpentine in it too. Doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's that thick turpentine. And I mean, you buy a gallon of that thing and you, so I buy a gallon of the, a lot of times I have to like go buy a empty can of uh hoof, you know, just like a hoof brush with a can that's like empty so that I can do multiple ones. And so I'll do that. And then with some like vegetable oil, canola oil, basically whatever's on sale on cheap. And you do a little more than half of the sure hoof and then the rest vegetable oil, shake it up and it lasts for forever. So you're basically getting almost double on that big gallon one. Nice. Yeah. And like the gallon of it, I don't even know. It's like not that badly priced. So you're like, that's amazing. All right, everybody. I'm very excited to introduce our first guest today. Natalie Hummel is a transformational life coach with a strong background in equestrian sports. You might know her name because she just recently launched an equestrian mastermind series on the Ride IQ app, an app we love here at Heels Down. But to know, just to give you a little brief history about Natalie, her coaching practices Our practice focuses on helping clients do the deep work required to reach the top levels of success. She does this through some somatic work, emotional mastery, and nervous system regulation. Uh, So all of that sounds pretty foreign to me, but I'm really excited to have Natalie on, who's going to explain it all for us. So hi, Natalie. How are you? Hi, I'm so good. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. So I... One, I think it's great that you are in this space, but you also have an equestrian background. So you really get the day-to-day stresses that come with caring for horses and competing with horses. So I'm just curious, how did you how did you get into coaching and healing work and what made you want to go down this path? I actually I just thought of this story. I was working, I've always been in horses and rode horses and then of course coached and and worked at a riding school and then eventually had my own barn and clients that I worked with. And so I was always really interested in coaching and teaching, but I I definitely noticed things that were blocking myself, my students and watching these kind of younger girls turn in front, go from really confident kids into really something that changed over time. And so I got, that's really what sparked it is like, wow, that's really interesting. That's change that I've seen and these confident, you know, like eight year olds. And then now they're 13 and they're really different and what happens and why is their confidence kind of going down and why is their self-worth going down? And so that's really what sparked it. And then I went on a really long, windy road after that to find the right cocktail of things that I found to be helpful and worked. I originally went to school and university and was going to get my PhD and, and decided that that curriculum really wasn't helping anyone. And so I kind of thought out things that I found to be really helpful and created the results that I thought were needed and for people. That's fabulous. I I think it's really interesting how you were able to tailor a program that was so specific. So you were a very serious rider at one time. Do you still ride or how has your relationship with riding changed since you began your own curriculum and went down this wellness journey? I don't ride. Uh, I would love to. I would love to. Again, my life is kind of 
taken a lot of different turns since I stopped riding and I've gotten really obsessed with surfing. So my life is, Oh yeah. All the effort that was going to horses is now (laughs) going in the same enthusiasm towards surfing. So I can talk to you about the difference of how I show up to that, but I don't ride anymore. I love, I, I love horses. I love the sport. And when my life goes and moves towards that direction, I would love to have a horse again. But right now it's, it's more geared towards surfing, which actually there's so many similarities. And from doing this work, I can show up totally different to it. I don't have the same self-worth patterns, low self-worth patterns that show up. I don't have the same self-sabotage patterns that come up. I don't have my nervous system blocking me from taking in new information and learning. And when things get really challenging as they do in surfing, the waves are really unpredictable and swell and size and other people. Again, there's so many correlations. I can really create my own in-sourced sense of safety and physiological sense of safety, which really allows me to stay in that peak performance zone in your nervous system, which I had little to no clue that that even existed when I rode. And I, when I was riding, I could practice at home really well. And I, I got good results at home, but I really never had any good results at competitions. Like maybe by luck, maybe by chance sometimes, but I was pretty much <laughs> always outside of that peak performance zone and really uh, in a zone in my nervous system that wasn't helpful at all for performance when I was competing. So I have a couple questions. So you talk about how it's got the similarity and stuff, but I want to know what makes like horseback riders unique when it comes to the mental health coaching from your point of view? Like, I feel like it's a concept we've been talking about a lot more recently. And so I'd love kind of your point of view on it on like what makes it, you know, what makes us unique basically as horseback riders. There's a, there's a couple of things that come to mind on a, on the psychology level, what comes to mind is I seen and I experienced and what I was noticing in my students is there's a real self-worth. And, and if you're not familiar with that term, maybe that won't land for you, but there's a real sense of, I don't belong. I'm not good enough yeah. to be, I don't have, I don't have what so-and-so has my path to this sport doesn't look like so-and-so and, and we don't celebrate those differences. We really shame ourselves for those differences. And I, that, that's really unique to, to the sport of horses. And, and I think because so many of us start at a young age, we're also, we're also making a lot of misunderstandings at certain developmental points and they stay with us. They go really undiscovered and, and they really affect everything from our, our ability to learn and perform and connect with our horse. And so that's, that's on the psychological level. That's what I really see is makes us really good candidates to do this work. Yeah. And then secondly, on the biological, more physiological level of your nervous system, you're, you're relating to an animal that has a nervous system. So when you're dysregulated, when you're outside of that peak performance place in your nervous system or this place of safety in your nervous system, your horse is reacting and responding to that and having its own experience of your nervous system doing that. And some horses, you know, these schoolmasters, it works in reverse. They, they work to ease our nervous system. They co-regulate with us in, a, in that really reciprocal 
good way that we want. But when a horse is new to the level and you're new to the level and you're both looking for some sort of regulation and connection and not one of you are providing it, that's also where I see such an incredible opportunity is when if you can get to know your nervous system and guide your own nervous system, it directly affects your horse. Well, and do you have like on that kind of line, do you have any kind of, I know this is like going to be a very broad thing, but any tips for like us, like when we kind of get stuck or whatever, I mean, yes, maybe getting forward and like that, you know, self-worth and stuff like that, but more like if you're, you know, kind of stuck and stuff like that, do you have any kind of like general, like kind of tips when you're talking about that? Like, Hey, maybe if you tried X, Y, Z, it might be able to kind of overcome these as like, you know, just a healing kind of type process. Yeah. So let me make sure I understand. So basically what you're asking is, do you have any tips for when you're outside of that performance zone to come back? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is the work. (laughs) That is is what we all have to get good at. And and to, to really practice that and master that is almost the only life hack riding hack, performance growth hack you need to really Mm -hmm. get to know your nervous system, the three levels and how to navigate them is going to basically solve most of your problems as a human and as an, as an athlete. And so just as a basic thing, what you're going to want to start to notice is your physiological state. So tuning into your body regularly and not your physical body, but, but so not like how your how your shoulders feel, but yeah. more of these energetic spots of, as you know, where do you feel excitement? Where do you feel nervousness? Where do you feel that in your body? Like even as I tune into my body, I'm excited to be here. I'm not outside my window of capacity, but there's definitely like um, some energy in my chest that's kind of going up to my throat. It's well within my window of capacity. I can stay completely present with it, but for sure excitement is here. So getting to know that. How do your emotions land in your body? What does it feel like? Are you able to feel your emotion and have a conscious thought at the same time? And if you can't, and as you'll notice, and I'm sure if I know you guys teach less, some of you teach lessons and have, or even in your own experience, you know, when somebody has gone outside of their window of capacity, they're having no conscious thought. They're just like, ah, you know, it's, it's all this kind of energy or they're really like slumping back and they're like, I don't know what you just said. And everything's getting really slowed down that they're either example, they're outside their window of capacity. And so a good way to do that is to breathe consciously you can breathe with yourself. You can breathe. We prefer to co-regulate. So you can breathe with your coach or someone you feel really safe with. And that will start to bring down those physiological sensations. And you'll come back to your window of tolerance. You'll create a sense of safety. And when you have an emotional sense of safety or a physiological sense of safety, then all of your defensive patterns turn off and all of your peak performance, things turn on, like your frontal lobe is full there, fully there, your muscle memory is full there. So you really get the benefits of all of your training and practices when you can regulate these sensations and emotions. No, that's amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. And I've been, it's been super powerful. You recently launched the Equestrian Mastermind Coaching Series in Ride IQ. 
Can you tell us more about just the program and the goals you have for it? It's incredible. And to be <laughs> to be honest, I had a set of goals for it and then it completely took on a life of its own. <laughs> and we, we just flowed with it and it turned out better than I think any of us could have ever expected. And it stretched us all in ways I don't think we knew we were going to be stretched in. It stretched me as a coach holding for that level of people and holding for people that, you know, I'm used to people paying and, and searching me out and they want to be there really bad. These people were invited into a situation. They really had no clue what they were getting themselves into and having to be as vulnerable as they were. But I think what the goal in retrospect has, has become and what I, what the feedback we're getting in is, wow, we're all suffering through the same problems. All of us are experiencing the exact same problems. And although we might be approaching solutions differently, we're all having similar blocks emotionally and on the outside. And I think it really humanizes and builds a deeper connection in the sport that, you know, even these top-level riders are experiencing what amateurs thought they were alone in. And it's creating this deeper connection within the sport and normalizing a lot of the things that people go through. And what happens when we normalize something is we get better solutions. No one's suffering alone. No one independently is going at this alone anymore. And when that happens, we come up with better, more optimal solutions to people's problems. So that's what I'm really excited about. I think it'll really move the needle not to not to make it bigger than it is, but I think it will really start to move the needle in the sport of like, how do we solve these problems? What is the most effective way? If everyone's dealing with them, let's get really good at solving the right problems. So I know you, we talked about one earlier, but what are some of those most common blocks that you see in riders? Well, for sure, the self-worth one, but, and then set, and then Secondly, or I don't know which one I would put first, either the self-worth or the nervous system regulation one. I don't think that's even been on anyone's radar. And I, and even in other top sports, I'm actually taking this other certification where the guy really focused on pro tennis players. And they kind of think this peak performance state is this elusive state. You know, they, we don't even, there's not a system to get there. And you even hear, if you've watched any sport documentaries, there's like, you have good days and you have bad days. Like some days you're in the zone and some days you're not. Some days you're in the zone. Sometimes you're overcome by thoughts and emotions. And what these athletes and what I think athletes, equestrian athletes have missed is this is a system. This is a biological system that is actually quite simple to operate once you learn how. And so I think learning and, and understanding that a peak performance zone is not elusive. It's a system and a way of, and a way of being and a, a biological system that you can use in your favor. So I would say an, not having a knowledge of that is a huge block for people. And once now that we have this and we have a system of getting to a peak performance zone, now we can just improve and get there all the time and make it a system. So those, those are the two really that stand out. And then if I were going to add a third, it would for sure be a fear failure. Ah, uh, yeah, I think that's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> Which really blocks people. And if you listen to the first episode of the mastermind, Tammy said something so insightful when I asked her why she, and paradoxically, you know, she, she won Kentucky, but we asked her why, you know, what would take you out of the game? What would, 
what would make you not win Kentucky? And she was so insightful. She, she was already kind of smart to this idea. And she was like, you know, I just haven't failed enough times. Like this sport really is tricky and there's different variables and everyone, she brought up Tim Price. She said, you know, he's failed so many times and now he can't not win. And so she already kind of recognized that. And that's really what I help people learn is you can fail, just fail better. Don't take it personally and take the feedback. Don't give your nervous system and your psychology more evidence for why you can't do something. Get the feedback and know that you're one step closer to actually getting what you want. If you can take the feedback and stay present. Yeah, that's great advice. So Natalie, we can find more of your programming on Ride IQ, which is the equestrian coaching app that we've talked a lot about on this podcast. Natalie has a new series out on Ride IQ called Equestrian Mastermind. But Natalie, where else can listeners find you in your work? It's actually such a good time because I'm launching my how I'm not launching it, but I'm, I'm relaunching it. <laughs> We're starting another cohort of my how to heal program, which starts at the end of August. And it's a four month live program where we get good at exactly what we just talked about getting to know your nervous system, the pathway back to peak performance and updating your psychology. So any part that has the fear of failure or the imposter syndrome or the unworthiness, we update that so that your psychology and your biology are on the same team. And then you can get what you're looking for. You can achieve your goals much easier. So you can find that and and an application to apply on my website, NatalieHummelCoaching.com. Or I love connecting. I love meeting people. I love solving problems. So if you want to connect with me, you can always reach out to me on Instagram and I'll send you a voice note and we can connect that way. Amazing. Well, Natalie, it's been amazing to have you on the show. Thank you so much again for your time. Yeah, guys, it was great. It was so nice to meet all of you. Thank you guys for having me. Okay, so I am here with Mary Beth Gordon, who is with Purina. And we're going to talk about a bunch of different things related to how we feed our horses and the research and the time that we put into deciding what it is we want to feed them to make a balanced and healthy diet. So Mary Beth, welcome. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. So why don't we start by you telling me a little bit more about yourself? What is it that you do at Purina? How long have you been there? Do you have horses at home that you could tell us about? Yeah. So I've been with Purina for 18 years now. I direct all of their equine research and new product development. So my formal title is the Director of Equine Technical Innovation. But what that really means is I run all of the teams that do all of our research, all of our tech support, our team at the research farm. So we have a research farm in Gray Summit, Missouri. We have 80 horses that we do all of our nutritional research there. So our scientists and PhDs and horse research staff that takes care of all those horses every day, they report up through me. And then we have a team of PhDs. PhDs based all over the country that help with technical support, sales support, customer support, veterinary support, pulling together all of our sell sheets and articles and and those types of things. So I oversee all of that as well. And educationally, I have an undergraduate degree and a PhD in animal science. My academic specialty is equine nutrition and exercise physiology. But truly underneath all of that is a crazy horse girl who had (laughs) horses as a kid and was really, really lucky that 
My parents got me a pony when I was little, even though we couldn't afford it. My parents were teachers with three kids. And so we weren't a horse family to begin with, but I just couldn't stop <laughs> obsessing Aww. about them. And they, they gave in and I very quickly became, um, you know, a working student and clean stalls and clean tack and taught pony camp and did all the things to have horses in my life. And, uh, currently have horses that take up a lot of my life. I have um, just recently moved to the Ocala, Florida area. So oh, horse, welcome. horse capital and uh, really, really love it. I have 22 acres here. I have a couple retired horses here at home. And then I have two really nice performance horse mares that maybe someday I'll get in, into the show ring. We'll see. I, I really do enjoy sort of the day-to-day -day training processes and and that type of stuff. And I ride dressage and I really enjoy like natural or relational horsemanship with the horses and do some liberty work and, and all that kind of thing. So yeah, long intro to basically say it's all horses all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And welcome to Ocala. I'm just down the road in Tampa. Oh, okay. That's yeah, great. yeah, yeah. But anyways, so uh, Mary Beth, I wanted to talk to you about this this great concept that Purina has come up with that since it was first ever mentioned to me, it's something I like to keep in the back of my head whenever I'm considering feeding a new product to my horses, whether that's a supplement or a ration balancer, or even, you know, moving to a new barn and considering different feed choices. It's the Purina test ride system and ride, you know, R-I-D-E, which I know each letter in ride stands for something you should think about when you're when you're thinking about what you're feeding your horses. So can you tell me what test ride is and how it was developed? Yeah, absolutely. So we do a conference for veterinarians and veterinary technicians every year in October in St. Louis. And it's a big deal because we usually bring in over 400 people to this conference and it's CE credits for everyone. And so we're very sort of professional presentations. And obviously, when we're working with vets, they need to be very much the scientifically oriented and well-referenced. And one year, I had veterinarians ask me, they're like, can you just give us a practical talk on supplements? Like, we have all these, these clients asking us what supplement, and I don't, like, what's a good joint supplement? And what's a good electrolyte? And what's a good supplement, you know, for fat added calories type of thing and, and just help us because there's so many out there and they're like, we don't have time to research them. We're really busy taking care of all the horses in our practice. And I was like, sure, that's, that's fine. Let's talk about how to choose a good supplement. And then then when I started to put the talk together, I was like, oh my God, I don't even know how to tell them how to do this because there's so many out them out there, you know, like, okay, well, Cosequin's like a good name. So try that, you know, for a joint supplement, but but there's literally hundreds of joint supplements out there. So as I was developing this talk, I was like, I need a simple way for them to evaluate everything that's out there. Because also if I just call out one supplement versus another supplement, you know, somebody gets upset or says I'm showing favoritism or Purina is doing da 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 da. And I want to stay away from that. But I wanted to give veterinarians and technicians and horse owners a way to actually evaluate the supplements out there. And then as I put it together, it sort of dawned on me, and, oh, this isn't just for supplements. Like you can use this for feed too. Like this really helps you evaluate what feed you should, you should buy. And then we talked about it. And in terms 
because of our research and how we do our research at the farm and what we decide is going to go into a feed or not go into a feed, this fits that exactly because we have all these companies that come to us all the time and are like, oh, put this antioxidant in your feed. Oh, you need to add this special extract to your feed I'm selling and and on and on and on. And we needed a way to evaluate all these things that were coming at us. That is that people are asking us to put in the feed. So I came up with this concept. I call it test ride. It's a little bit tongue in cheek of like, hopefully when you go to buy a new horse, like you take it for a test ride, like you would a you're going to buy a car. I'm going to take it for a test drive, knowing full well that some of us buy horses off of videos or sight unseen when maybe that's not the smartest thing in the world, but it's the reality of the business. So any supplement, any feed, or for us, anything we're going to evaluate that's going to go into feed, we take it for a test ride first. And the ride part, R-I-D-E, stands for research, ingredients, delivered amount, and efficacy. And briefly, it's basically you want to look, say you're looking at a joint supplement, for example, you want to see does that joint supplement have research behind it in horses to show that it does what it says it's going to do. When you look at the, an ingredient list, sometimes I look at ingredient lists on these supplements and there's 4,000 things in them. Right. And I'm like, and there's 4,000 things and I'm just giving a tiny little scoop. Like, I don't understand why there's 4,000 things. Like to me, the ingredients need to make sense. The ingredients need to be generally regarded as safe or recognized as safe. We call that a grass status. They need to not be any type of FEI or uh, racing prohibited substance, right? Because there's things you can't give to show horses and race horses. So the ingredients matter. And then the D for the delivered amount, that's the amount that's in the supplement. It should be in there at the correct dose, so to speak, for the size of the horse that we're dealing with. I'd say that's actually one of the things I see the most is that there's all these supplements with a ton of ingredients in them, and they only have a tiny amount, and it's never enough for an actual 1,200-pound animal. So it's a sprinkling of something because they can put it on the label and then they can just talk about it and it sounds good, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then E is for efficacy, which is, you know, if you're buying a supplement, say, for example, a joint supplement or you're buying a feed for a senior horse that can no longer eat hay, is it doing what you purchased it to do? Does your horse's joints seem more comfortable? Are they you know, laying down and getting up more easily? Are they a little more sound than they were before? If it's a senior horse and he needs a specialized senior feed, has he put on weight or is he maintaining his weight? Does his coat look better? Is he eating well? So, so yeah, so test ride has really become a way of life for us, which I'm very grateful for because like I said, the I look out there at the industry, the amount of supplements on the shelves, the amount of feeds people have to choose from, the amount of different ingredients available that you can put in that everyone says is the next latest greatest thing, you know, turmeric and chaseberry extract and blah 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 blah, 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 blah. Right, right. like we needed some way to help us organize this and figure out, okay, what's really the right stuff at the right amount that's meaningful for a horse. And that's what Test Ride's all about. Got it. Yeah. It's super easy to remember and to understand. And I, I personally, I use it like a checklist, right? To just go down the list to make sure I am considering all the things before <laughs> making the purchase. So I guess what is the easiest way for someone to implement that on their own? Say they have, they, they're keeping horses uh, on their home farm. So it's 
you know, they're making these decisions on their own for their horses and want to be evaluating sure. something, you know, while they're at the feed store. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes it's hard to do it a little bit right when it's in front of you at the feed store, because you may not have all the information, you know, at your uh-huh. fingertips there to make the the best decision. That's where working with a company and starting with like, okay, well, I know Purina is really dedicated to research, or I know this other supplement company is really dedicated to research and they do really good products, you know, put out really good quality products. So I'm going to start with looking at those companies versus other companies type of thing. So so that helps is sort of figuring out, well, doing some research ahead of time online, which companies are really like into research and try to show their research. And we've tried to do a better job to actually like when you go on our product pages that all of our research reviews that show the research on all of our different products are right there for you to click on. And you can take a look at them and look at the results. And an interesting thing in the horse business is legally state and US regulators do not like to see data on packaging. So they call them scientific claims and structure function claims and it makes can make your product look like a drug to the FDA. So the package itself doesn't always speak to the actual research and the things that are going on in that product because for the most part we've got to water it down in order not to look like a drug. You know, I can't say increases your horse's stomach pH on a package of Outlast, which is our gastric buffer. And it's exactly what Outlast does. But I can't actually say that on the package. So someone would actually have to go to their website and click on our research reviews and read the massive amount of research we have on Outlast to figure that out. But it does hinder a little bit what how people are able to evaluate it uh, in the store. So I guess to best answer your question is I almost want people to do their research at home with the computer, with the information at their fingertips before they just go buy something willy nilly off the shelf. Like don't go buy something right off the shelf. Go home and do your homework first because otherwise you're going to waste your money. Cause we all know once you bring it home and crack that bucket open, it's not like you can return it. So right. yeah, do your work at home first. That's good advice. I, I like that we that we touched on research because I mean I feel like that's the name of the game in this age, right? We have so much information you can find on various products before you buy. But I'd I'd like to think that there's different standards of research, right? And not all mm-hmm. companies have to have to provide research or have their products tested in in any very specific way before they're they can sell them, right? So mm-hmm. could you could you talk a little bit more about why research is important so that people know what they're getting and know what they're putting into their horses? Yeah, sure. That's a great question because it's so easy for people just to say, oh, this has research behind it because they looked up something in a book. Like, oh yeah, I looked in a book, therefore I did research, right? And it's like, no, no, no. Because for us, and this is actually one of my favorite things about my job is I love it when the horses tell us the answer and it may actually not be what I thought the answer was going to be. So that to me is what research needs to be about is the horses telling us what is the right thing, you know, for their body and is it truly making a difference? And I'll I'll give you an example. We had a project we did a couple years ago 
It was called Project Tin Man, like the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz, because the Tin Man had, you know, creaky joints, right? He needed oil for his creaky joints. And we were working on creaky joints for horses. And I was trying to put together like this all natural joint supplement. And I was looking at either by themselves or a combination of collagen, green tea extract, cranberry extract, and turmeric. And if you go do the quote unquote research online and you look up all of those factors, you'd be like, absolutely, yes, that's going to help horses with their joints. Like there's data in mice and these are, you know, all generally recognized as safe and all these things and horses should be able to eat them, no problem. And they're all AFCO approved ingredients and, and like all these different things, right? And then we got in super, super high quality amounts of these extracts. We fed them to horses. We found that basically the horses weren't absorbing any of the turmeric at all. We couldn't find any in their blood or any of the derivatives of turmeric in their blood after they ate very large quantities of turmeric. The cranberry, they actually could absorb, and we saw some improvements in benzoic acid and, and some other things in their blood. So so definitely some th stuff was going on there, but it actually it turned their entire mouth and tongue and inside of their cheeks like bright pink. So when they consume this cranberry extract, they basically all look like they were bleeding from the mouth. So I'm like, okay, well, that just took that one out of the study. The collagen, we definitely got some benefits in the, like we saw the in improvements in uh, certain amino acids in the blood, but actually no follow-up research showing that it was anti-inflammatory or supportive for the joints in horses. And same thing with the green tea extract. We actually tested two different types, one that was supposed to be more bioavailable because it had a special coating versus another. And the horses would eat the green tea extract. But then when we actually did the research to look at horse cartilage tissue with these extracts into it, it actually wasn't doing anything in the on the horse tissue level. So I guess that's just a really long way to talk about like the amount and type of research that needs to be done. Because like I said, you can read up on turmeric and think, oh, that's like really good for my horse. I should, I should, you know, I should feed that. But the reality of the research says, nope, they're pretty much not getting any of it. So yeah. th that's why research is so important to Absolutely. this day. Yeah. That's a great example. Is there another letter within the test ride method that you think is like the most surprising to horse owners? We talked a little bit about research, but is there something else that you think is worth kind of hammering the message home? Yeah, it's definitely the delivered amount, uh, okay. the D of test ride. And that's sort of my most fun thing to do on a farm call because I love it when I get, I'm on a farm call with sales and they're like, hey, will you help us look through this horse's supplements and tell us like which ones are yes or no? And certainly there are supplements out there. I'm like, I'm not anti-supplement. My own horses get some supplements. And, you know, we we make supplements and sell supplements. But I love going through like a myriad of supplements that are out there and then being like, nope, 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 <laughs> nope. And mostly it's because, again, sounds great on the label ingredients sort of look good. But then when you look at the amount, you're like, that is not even the amount that you would give a, a baby, like a human baby. And you think oh, that wow. that's going to be the right amount for your horse. Like just to go back to the collagen example, like there's a lot of people like to feed some collagen to their horses and, and 
but the amount of collagen in like the horse supplement that people purchase is less than the amount of collagen that I would put in my cup of coffee in the morning. So how is it that I'm taking in 20 grams of collagen in my coffee, but your horse getting eight grams of collagen a day is enough for your horse? It's not. So they sold you on the story, but again, the delivered amount to the horse is nowhere near where it should be. Interesting. Speaking of supplements, I feel like this is an ongoing saga that we all (laughs) have to suffer through as horse owners. You know, there's so many supplements out there and we've talked about Mm -hmm. this on the podcast a number of times, but you know, I feel like it's, it's a question you have to ask yourself at different points, right? Like when is it appropriate to add a supplement when your horse is already eating a balanced diet? Yeah. Um, Especially when we're talking about the appropriate levels that you need to feed something, right? I think this comes into play. If your horse is eating a balanced diet, what what would you need to supplement, or what when would it be appropriate to to maybe use the test ride system to find a supplement that would help your horse? Yeah, that's another great great question. So, to me, it really does boil down to like what you are doing with your horse, and then of course finances. You know, the amount of money you want to spend every month plays into it. But like a perfect example is my two retired geldings that are here on the farm. They get a basic ration balancer. They get, you know, good quality hay. They're on plenty of pasture. So they get a ration balancer, which has everything they need, proteins, vitamins, minerals, all of it. You know, they get a pound and a half, maybe two pounds a day. And then they have free choice white salt. And on days where it's super, super hot down here in Florida, I'll toss a tablespoon of of salt into their feed, or I'll give them a a meal of our replenimash, which is our mash uh, sort of diet that has a full dose of electrolytes in it. And that's all those horses get, right? They can live on good quality forage, a ration balancer, and they're done. And they don't need a lot of supplements because they live outside 24-7 and they're retired and they look great and have great weight and, and those types of things. Whereas my performance horses down the road you know, I want to do more with them and I am, you know, training them and exercising them. So they both get good quality forage, but then they're on a different ration balancer. So they're on the Omega Match ration balancer because they get some grass overnight, but it's not like they get a lot of grass. So I love the Omega 3s. The Omega Match ration balancer has the outlast built in because they're exercising and there's, you know, stresses with the training regime. Then they have that gastric support through the diet. They also have natural vitamin E coming through that ration balancer. So I know, you know, the exercising horse, I like to have a little bit more uh, vitamin E support on board for them. So they get that through that. And then they also get added electrolytes. And then they also are on our ahi flower oil supplements. So they get an oil supplement that's really good for their coats and their skin, especially because this is my first time you know, down here in Florida year round. And it's just all the skin things that you start to see, you know, (laughs) all these horses, fungus and oh my God, a summer sore, like, like scary stuff. So I want to keep their skin super, super healthy and try to, you know, have a good skin barrier there. So those horses get a little more supplementation. So, but we should always go back to that base feed. If you put your horse on the right feed for them for their lifestyle and then feed it at the appropriate amounts for them 
the supplements shouldn't be crazy. Like it shouldn't be 10 supplements. These people get these smart packs that where the smart packs are so long. Like, I'm just like, oh my goodness, you don't, you shouldn't need a smart pack that's as tall as you are. Like the strip should not be four feet long, but, but yeah. So start with a really good base diet, make sure you're feeding it the right amount for your horse's lifestyle. And that really takes care of a lot of things. And then you shouldn't need more than, you know, electrolytes and one or two other supplements and depending on the horse and you're done. And I can honestly say too, I mean, we've had horses go to world equestrian games and Olympics and stuff like that, just on feed, just on Ultium and not a lot of other extra stuff because, and I don't blame them either as the riders get, you know, a little scared about, you know, horses having positive tests and you can't always get your supplements. If you're, you know, I'm going to compete in Tokyo and they're not letting me bring anything in, but they'll let me bring in a feed. I'm just going on my feed and I'm not going to, you know, cause I either can't bring stuff in or I wouldn't trust what I would buy there and, and that type of thing. So yeah, sometimes we make it more complicated than it needs to be for sure. But you know, it's, there's a whole market around it and we're all just trying to do our best to do the right thing for the horse. Right. Like we don't supplement because we're, you know, trying to do the wrong thing. We supplement because we're really trying to do the right thing and we want to help our horse. So of course, yeah. Yeah, But now that we have the test ride system, right. We can ask ourselves questions when deciding what to feed our horse. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, Mary Beth, this has been really great. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, guys, it's time for Rose and Thorne. Who wants to go first? I can go, I think. Okay. All right. (laughs) What's going on lately? Well, so my Rose is easy because since Batman is like officially through the rehab tunnel, I took him to a pony show last weekend and I just did the walk trot. I I took him actually both days. So I wrote him English on Saturday and then in his normal attire on Sunday, just for a couple walk trot classes, just to give him something else to do with his brain. But he was great and he was super excited to be there and it was just fun to, to be back with him. I'm still like slowly increasing his work and his pasture size because they're worried that, you know, if I just throw him out in his, eight acre pasture that he's just going to retear something. So I have to ease it up, but um, I'm excited to be at that point for sure. But my thorn is I'm still having a lot of like body problems, man. I have like, they call it dead leg, which is kind of like, you just have like a leg that's like numb all the time. So it's really annoying. And like, (laughs) I felt bad uh, a show I took Q to because I couldn't get him to pick up the left lead because I just couldn't use my right leg properly. (laughs) So that part's kind of frustrating. So I guess I'm just like frustrated with that. I thought that, you know, this would be something that I would be over with by now, but I'm trying to, you know, stay positive and adapt to my new normal, despite it really ticking me off a lot. (laughs) But so that is my thorn. For sure. Ugh. I hear you. I'm sorry. I like keep plugging away though. You know, it will slowly get better. I promise. Well, what you I guys can go next. Okay. Well, I'll start with my thorn. Cause it's kind of on the lines of not anywhere to Ellie's degree, but it's just, my leg is getting better, but 
on that whole side of things, I have been battling the insurance and everything else. And it's just been paperwork and a nightmare and I'm still battling it. And my surgery was in February and I'm just kind of tired of it because I'm like, this is ridiculous. Why do I have to call all these companies all the time? Because even as simple as like my physical therapy, it's supposed to be a like copay or whatever. And mm-hmm. they keep writing it down wrong. So then I keep getting billed incorrectly. So then I have to call again. And I'm like, this is so frustrating. And I'm like, it just reminds me about how annoyed I am at my leg, basically. <laughs> so on that line, I'm just so annoyed. I'm like, ready to be done with it. Because my leg's feeling great. But then it just is like that constant reminder that it's still annoying in some degree. So that is definitely my thorn is just battling all that so eventually it will all get sorted hopefully if they can get it all processed but that is definitely my thorn and then my rose was totally not horse related because this might be my rose for like a couple times so we went to see eric church with some friends at oh cool yeah uh, oh yeah it's amazing and we've seen him in concert and it was great but i have some friends from nashville that one of them found out we were going and called me late, like what, or text me and like the night before we were leaving and it was here in Raleigh. So it wasn't far, but the night before the concert, she texted me and she's like, how many people are you going with? And I was like, it's another couple and Doug and myself. And she texted me like hours before the concert, like not very many hours. And we had lawn tickets and we were going and it was going to be great. And she's like, surprise, I got you four tickets in the pit. And it was amazing like probably one of the coolest experiences of my life like and it wasn't like i had somebody like is it a mosh pit and i'm like no no it wasn't even like that at all (laughs) there weren't even that many people down there which was amazing like there was plenty of space like move around you weren't like shoulder to shoulder like miserable which is kind of what i thought it was going to be like but it was it was probably the coolest experience i mean he was right there and I think I paid for the lack of sleep for like three days after because he played till 1145 at night, which was amazing. Oh, he, I mean, the concert started at 730 and we went to this benefit concert the night before and that was very short, thankfully. And so of Eric Church, it was like two nights of Eric Church. It was amazing. But then we probably got home to the house at like two o'clock. That time you go to bed and then... I literally text my friends the next day and was like, I forget, like you party like a rock star the night before and you forget you have children that wake up at 6 a.m. <laughs> <Yeah. That's> <laughs> and I was like, I am dying right now. <laughs> I'm like, it's uh, totally worth it, but it's going to take me three days to recover from this. Oh, uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so it was, I sent a picture of me like dead looking in bed. <laughs> Oh my goodness. But that is definitely my rose. And it might be my rose several more times because it was it was a once in a lifetime amazing experience. Very cool. That's awesome. So what do what you have? Oh, what do I have? Let's see. I would say my rose is that I submitted my final entry for the thoroughbred makeover. So nice. There was a time not too many months ago where i was like who knows if we're gonna make it but now <laughs> i uh, make it <laughs> i've paid the money knock on wood everyone's sound nothing you know what i mean like it's all it's all happening i think so that's um, amazing 
I know. I'm very excited. So paid, paid the entry, the thoroughbred makeover, like they're really great. The retired racehorse project, they, they run a really wonderful community online. Not that dissimilar to ours where they have a Facebook group for, full of trainers. So I've met a few other ladies from Florida that I've hooked up with that we're going to share a textile. Um, oh, that's so, cool. I know. It's just, it's really nice. It feels very inclusive, which is just very cool. So yeah, I feel like like it's kind of a it's a weird feeling because and I don't trust it because horses that I um <laughs> like Wyatt's progress has really kind of followed the timeline I set in the very beginning and that just never really happens in real life, right? Like of course there have been setbacks and things I've had to troubleshoot along the way, but he's you know, we're it's the middle of August. I've got like less than two months until the makeover about two months. And I feel like he's ready. We're ready to go, you know? So I've just got two months to really polish things up and instill confidence in him. And that makes me feel really good about the decision, right? Like I'm really happy with how the training's gone and it's really just about keeping him confident and feeling good. And um, yeah, I'm very excited. So knock on wood that nothing insane happens in the next two months and that we get there. I just, Literally just dropped my trailer off yesterday to get service. So it's all ready to go. And we're thinking about packing and our trip. And actually, Jess, we're staying with Michelle in Auburn on our way up there. So. Nice. <laughs> yeah, she's split well, that'd up. That would be so funny. I know. Yeah. So yeah, we're looking, we're looking forward to it. And it feels... Okay, so that's my rose, right? So my thorn... Hmm... My thorn is just this insane weather. It's crazy. I don't know how anybody does anything in this crazy heat. And um, it's nuts. I, I so I took Wyatt to Majestic Oaks and Ocala this weekend to compete. And I submitted my entries and then all week freaked out and was just like, it's too hot. This is crazy. There's no way I can do it. I got a scratch. But I was on the hook for hauling a couple of friends horses. And I was like, well, I got to go. Well, I kept trying to get them to scratch. I'm like, you guys, this is crazy. <laughs> the heat is crazy. Like, we we can't do this. And they kept talking me into it. Like, we've been conditioning the horses all summer. Like, they can handle this. It'll be okay. And so they talked me into it. And it went okay. But the heat, the heat is really scary, right? Like, it's yeah. it's not just, like, annoying. It's scary. And you should be thinking about it very seriously. But I will say, we went to the horse show and props to Majestic Oaks because they just they took it so seriously. Like they made sure everybody was parked in the shade that you know that where shade was available. Anytime you saw anybody on a golf cart or you came out of a ring, they were like you didn't have a choice. You had to take the ice cold bottle of water they were handing you. Yeah. They were you know they were helping hose horses like they really went above and beyond. But the seat just makes me nervous. You know I talked at length about Mikey, who's not a great sweater, who knock on yeah. wood is, is doing pretty good this summer. Just thank God I had some years of practice, right. With this condition, but it does make me nervous for the future. If this is going to become the norm, cause this is crazy. This is really hot. It's, it's hot to it's be really hot. It's hot to be an athlete on your own. Like my husband who likes to run and bike and do, and, but then to ask the horses to do this too, it does. It makes me nervous for Florida, you know, and, mm -hmm. and other hot places going forward. So that is my, that is my thorn. Cause that is the anxiety that keeps me up at night. <laughs> I hear yeah. that. That's um, but before we jump into the mailbag, so we've talked on this episode about a few different events that are happening, but 
between Ellie, your Buck Branham clinic, between Jess at the AACs, and then me at the Retired Racehorse Projects Thoroughbred Makeover. We've got some fun stuff coming up, and we'd love to see you guys. So if you're a fan of the show and you have any plans to be at any of the three things we've just talked about, we've shared more details in the Facebook group, please reach out to us or send us an email or post in the Facebook group because we are going to try to host some in real life happy hours while we're there and we'd love to meet you. So this is the, you know, shameless plug, like let's get together in real life. So look in the Facebook group for the details for that. And we'll continue to share information as we get closer to those events. But now moving on to the mailbag, I have a question for you guys. This is from grace in our Facebook group. So she is putting together her own first aid kit and she has, has some questions for us. Like she has some like, over-the-counter normal stuff already in her kit, but she is wondering, is is it appropriate for her to ask her new vet for a supply of basic horse first aid stuff, like think silver cream or even like bute or banamine at their first visit, or should she wait and call in the supplies when she actually needs them? I saw this and I almost commented. And so I'm really glad we're actually going to talk about this so I can talk about it in length. I think First off, absolutely yes. Yeah, I think 100%. all these things are absolutely necessary. And be smart about it. And there are so many things like you can just say, hey, look, like I'm not asking for IV ones. I'm looking for, you know, butte powder or butte paste in a small, like, you know, just a tube of butte paste. Then there's not that much. You can do a banamine paste and you can do dex powder. And I love those three to be in a kit that it's like, you can travel with it. You can have it at the barn. You can put it and I would put it somewhere that like, you know, that it's yours and it, or label it. And a lot of times, like I've seen really cool ideas that you get like a small little Tupperware and then you can label it with your name on it. So you, or your horse's name on it. So then they have it and just so that you can start them on any of that right away because you're going to still call the vet and they're going to still refill it. But a lot of the things like whether it is just the silver cream or anything else, you want to be able to get to it as fast as possible and explain to your vet, look, I'm still going to call you first, but if you can't get out here for four hours or an hour or whatever else, then I can jumpstart it if that's in your discretion. Like I would still go to the vet. I mean, we still call the vet and say, Hey, this is what this horse is doing. She's like, great, give it two grams of butte or whatever. I'll be there in the morning or wait on it and I'll be there and they will communicate with you. And so at least having it is an option. Yeah, I definitely isn't an option. You don't want to be caught in a situation where you need it and you don't have it, you know, and and the vets on another emergency call and you don't know how long it'll be. So I definitely like on a routine vet call when they're just coming out to do vaccines or Coggins, I will refill my, my, the things that are non-negotiable that I need to have on me all the time are butte or banamine. Like just said, either in the paste, if you're not comfortable with having a liquid for like IV, but you can even get the liquid and shoot it in their mouth. Worst case scenario. And then I always like some form of tranquilizer because God forbid you're in the trailer, there's an accident. You never know when you just are going to need some type of something to help you in an emergency situation, whether that's ACE or it's, I really like Demorsidan gel because it works fast and it's easy to administer. And then I also like the idea of the decks. It's just nice to have on hand. So 
those like that's what I would keep on top of like your normal topical. Like for me being in yeah. Florida, I always keep I need a summer store cream all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, because you like that goes like from zero to sixty overnight if you don't have it. So. <laughs> three years ago, yeah, you don't want to. Actually, funny story is I had to, I ordered reserpine from my vet because my horse is psycho coming off stall rest, and the pharmacy messed up and sent me a giant box of summer sort cream and i called the vet like please don't charge me for this can i drop it off and they're like no they're just gonna have to destroy it because it was like a misfire they didn't mean to send it to you so keep it or just destroy it and i'm like i'm not destroying i'm this. not destroying that are, are you kidding, kidding me? me this is like gold you know so I'm, <laughs> I'm stocked up for life but that's amazing but yeah so yes absolutely the first time you talk to your like i would ask your vet what should i have because i'm pretty sure your vet would recommend that you have banamine at least on hand what about you ellie do you did we miss anything no no the dex is huge i think and like i always i don't know about you guys but i always get excited when i go through my med cabinet and something has expired like if a tube of banamine has expired and i haven't used it I'm like, oh, thank God. Like, I They've been healthy this month. <laughs> I, I know. I'm so excited about that. I'm like, time to buy more. But like, thank God. I mean, and the thing is too, like, honestly, I mean, after like a year, yeah, I'll throw it out. But I, I still it. use it too, my expired 100%. stuff. <laughs> 100% because if you need it and that's all you have, like it does still work. It might not be as potent, but it will still work. I have yeah. expired decks in my fridge right now, but it's still there if I need it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I don't think, I don't think I have yet to meet any equine vet that would say no to these things because they're also going to want you to have these things because when you call them, if something's wrong with your horse, they're going to immediately ask you for like their basic vitals and say, okay, yeah, give them banamine now, like give them this much and I'll be there, you know? So yeah. Yeah. Stock up. Yep. Absolutely. So if you have a question for us and you want us to answer it on the air, you can always send us an email at hello at heelsdownmedia.com. Or you can join our Facebook group, which we've talked quite a bit about this episode. It's the Heels Down Happy Hour Facebook Lounge. We have a lot of fun and interesting conversations there all the time. And if you want to hear more from us, you should subscribe to the Heels Down Spark. It's the daily equestrian newsletter by Heels Down. You can do that by going to bit.ly slash spark by hd and we want to say thank you to our partners this week purina all right guys that's a wrap cheers cheers cheers